0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine. And of course, today is no exception. I am so excited to be talking to one of the founders of Pendulum Therapeutics, Colleen Cutliffe. She is the CEO and co-founder over at Pendulum. She has over 20 years of experience managing and leading teams in biotech, pharma, and academia. Uh, Before starting Pendulum Therapeutics, Colleen served as the senior manager of biology at Pacific Biosciences, which is where she met her two co-founders. Prior to that, Colleen was a scientist at Elon Pharmaceuticals. Completed her postdoc research at Northwestern's Children's Memorial Hospital, received her PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology from Johns Hopkins University, and received her BA in biochemistry from Wellesley College. Colleen, welcome to New Frontiers.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to get to talk to
0: you. Yeah, yeah, finally. I've been paying attention to Pendulum since you since you launched. I mean, I think maybe even before you launched, when publications were starting to be, um, you know teased out into the world that somebody was figuring out how to stabilize um, I And I so I want to talk about that. Anybody listening to this podcast, so savvy, you know, regular people, but a lot of clinicians uh, in the functional medicine world are thinking about acromancia in all of our patients. I mean, we, we see deficiencies all of the time. We know that it's this incredibly important keystone um, organism in our gut. That means it plays a huge role, an oversized role in so many different processes associated with good health um but it's an anaerobe and it's and we can't stabilize it. and so we have always been looking at influencing so we can't stabilize it and put it in a probiotic so we've always been thinking about can we secondarily influence it with diets etc cetera, etc cetera. so i want to hear from you a little bit about your journey to you know Deciding to 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 work with acromancy, realizing its importance, how you figured out how to stabilize it, and just I just want to get some of the backstory because it's exciting. I mean, it's it's really transformative in the world of probiotics. I think it 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 has a chance to have broad influence on not just how we early adopters in functional medicine are using probiotics, but beyond that. And so, just just give us some of the backstory.
1: Absolutely. So maybe I'll go a little bit further back to when we started the company, what the vision was and and why we started it and then how we got to Acromancia, and then as with anything else, you fall in love with something and you realize it's not quite as easy to do as you as you thought it was going to be and how we kind of overcame some of those challenges. So, um, I, um my background, as you said, is in pretty hardcore science. Uh, And then I worked in this DNA sequencing company uh, that went through some rapid growth and then went public. And on the other side of it was really looking for a way to get back into, you know, innovation. And I think that the microbiome is a relatively new science. So even though probiotics and yogurts have been on the shelves for decades, um, you know, microbiome has only become a new science in the last, you know, decade or so. And That's because DNA sequencing technologies have become inexpensive and usable, and that's the technology that's enabled us to really survey what are all the microbes that are residing in our microbiome, and how do they interact with each other? And of course, most importantly, how do they interact with us, the host? And so when we started this company, we had, me and my two co-founders, we had this deep DNA sequencing and technological understanding of how to... Create these maps of the microbiome for individuals, and how we could use those maps to identify novel interventions. Um, and then simultaneously, when we were thinking about this company, which by the way we've been around for almost ten years, so I love that you've kind of been watching us. It takes a while to build real, you know, products and novel products, and so uh, it takes it takes patience. Um, yeah. But one of the other things that happened as we were starting to understand the the microbiome and its huge opportunity was that this paper came out in 2012 where they looked at 12,000 children, and they showed that babies, infants, who were systematically on antibiotics, were um, more likely to develop obesity and type 2 diabetes as they got older. And that study was actually just repeated by the Mayo Clinic recently, where they looked at kids under the age of 2 and showed that kids who were on antibiotics were more prone to obesity, type two diabetes, celiac disease, yeah. allergies, yeah. ADHD, all of these myriad of things that you know we hadn't, we know are environmentally somehow linked, but now are linked to the microbiome. And for me, um, there was a very, pers- it struck home personally because my older daughter was born almost two months prematurely. And she was four and a half pounds. I got to hold her for a couple of seconds and then she was off to intensive care where she received multiple doses of antibiotics as part of preventative care for these really small, fragile preemies, and my daughter was in elementary school at the time that we were thinking about this microbiome technology, and um, she has food sensitivities. She had food sensitivities that the rest of us did not have, so she'd be the kid in dairy, in in I uh, should say Dairy Queen or Baskin Robbins, asking you know how much. Um, dairy is in the sherbet. And so she just had to watch everything she ate. And I realized for me, it really clicked that the gut microbiome and her early disruption in life is leading her to have these early symptoms of, okay, I have these food sensitivities that nobody else has in my family. And it could evolve or devolve into some of these chronic illnesses as she gets older. And so it seemed like a no brainer like, we got to start this company. We could help millions of people, including my own kid. And let's approach this using methodologies that allow us to create products that have the efficacy of a drug, but the safety of a probiotic. And so that's really what we set out to do. We were like, let's disrupt the probiotics industry with novel ingredients. There are new strains that get discovered all the time, but they really fall into the same category of strains that already exist. There hasn't been anything really breakthrough because microbiome is a new science. And of course, one of the first strains that we came across and that was being you know early publications on was acromantia mucinophila. And there are a few super interesting things about this strain that make it a keystone strain.
0: The first is that generally speaking, just Define keystone and then jump into the wonderments of (laughs) acromancia. Yeah, I think
1: when we think about health, when we use the phrase keystone, by we, I mean sort of the scientific and medical community, I think when we use the word keystone, what we mean is that this is something that if you are low or missing it, it shows up symptomatically in a lot of different ways. Yeah. So it's not this sort of one to one where oh, if you're missing this, then therefore you have this problem. It's like you're missing this, and now it's it's like I would say immune um, modulators are one example of keystone, uh, you know, molecules where like okay, if you're low in IL-6, you have all of these different, uh, you know, immune and even inflammatory and issues going on. And so when it comes to the microbiome, of course, you know this is still an early science. But the idea is that if you're lower, missing the strain, man, it shows up for you in a wide variety Everywhere. of illnesses and
0: conditions. I want to just point some of those out. We were talking about them beforehand, just so people can get, can appreciate this concept of Keystone. Acromegaly has an outsized influence on everything. So yes, of course, locally in the GI, we can think about inflammatory bowel disease, appendicitis, but extra-intestinally, profoundly, they're looking at it in um, deficiencies in ALS patients and influencing the course of that, you know, just horrible um, neurodegenerative condition, cancers, different cancers, um, and of course diabetes. And we're going to talk about your work uh, in that arena and glucose control and you know ob- obesity, etc. So it's it's almost as if acromantia can be sourced to many of, well, both acute and chronic conditions um, that we're dealing with in clinical practice. Would you say that there's some truth in that according to your read on the literature? Absolutely. And I would
1: say we're just at the beginnings of really uncovering and understanding how all of these different things are linked to the microbiome, but there's very, very clear Correlative data that's come out um, globally from from various clinics and and scientific academic groups showing that a deficiency in acromansia is correlated to this just extremely wide variety of diseases and illnesses, which is what makes it a keystone strain and super interesting to, to study.
0: You know, in my research, I've been, you know, I, I published a study looking at a diet and lifestyle intervention on, 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 biological age. And so I've been in the longevity science, my head's been wrapped around it and it shows up there too, you know, acromancya deficiency and sort of accelerated aging, um, or robust acromancia and other, other players in the microbiome and, you know, longevity. So.
1: And I'm curious, Curious, when you um, think about acromancia or for patient care, when people are low in acromancia, you know, how do you currently um, help them boost that strain?
0: Yeah, so, well, clearly, you know, as I was kind of fangirling on you a little bit at the beginning, I've been tracking um, Pendulum for a long time, since since, since I could see that there was some science developing around this. I mean, and I should point out, I, I have a background in a clinical laboratory and we were the first lab to actually release a uh, PCR DNA uh, stool test. We were the first clinical lab to do that. And so I understand, I appreciate the, the leap from culture, you know, where you're growing something out in an, in in an oxygen rich environment to, you know, actually starting to look at the gut, um, uh, it, being able to look at the anaerobes, those, those organisms that grow without oxygen. And I mean, it's such a massive leap and that's, so, so when we launched that test, I should say, you know, the, the, our, the arsenal of probiotics we have are all those that are, you know, anaerobes or facultative anaerobes. Like we were, it's, I guess I, you could almost say, and those are important probiotics. I don't, I don't want to put them down, but they are they are born out of an earlier technology, right? They're born out of sort of the world of culture, which is where we've been, um, you know, since we, you know, up until about 10 years ago. So um, uh, our tools early on were, were limited. I mean, we, you know, there's some evidence that certain, foods might help influence the course of acromancia, of course, of course, that, I mean, we evolved with acromancy as a player in our gut, so clearly diet and lifestyle things are going to influence. We knew, you know, an- um, antibiotics could, could be harmful. We certainly see, um, uh, I don't know, maybe the, the majority of our patients, I can't pull a percentage off the top of my head, but a significant number of folks showing us showing up with a variety of conditions with, with acromantia deficiency. So it's something that we're thinking about all of the time for most of our patients, people who want to age healthy and well, we're thinking about it as, as, as part of taking care of, you know, just, just a a good lifestyle practice. Um, So we want them on a whole foods diet. We want them on a lot of fermented foods, you know, nuts, seeds, good oils, et cetera, et cetera, you know, some animal protein and you know, legumes, et cetera, rest and digest all of the smart lifestyle things. But um, I just want to say, you know, again, it's a game changer that you figured out how to stabilize this wildly important um, bacteria that we all need to have in abundance so that we can prescribe it directly. And um, it's revolutionary. And I'm just, you know, again, thrilled to be talking to you and to be able to participate in launching this information, you know, as far and wide. So that's, that's my back. That's, you know, that's, those are my, my thoughts on it. And I would say that, you know, the team of nutritionists and physicians here in my clinic are all, uh, you know, equally thinking in this, in this way.
1: Yeah. And I I totally Agree with all of um, that kind of. First of all, I love that you launched the PCR based mechanism. Uh, it's it's almost like old school, but there's a lot of advantages to the old school way of doing things, which is that it's quantitative. And even though I come from a sequencing background, to tell you the truth, when we do our clinical studies, we measure acromancy using PCR. Also, do you really? Oh, wow, <laughs> that's cool. Yes, the sensitivity and specificity is just so much better when you know what you're looking for right sequencing gives you a lot of information, but if you already know i'm looking for this, you can get much more specific and and um, sensitive data that way. I think maybe to understand acromancia, like why it's a keystone strain and why yeah. it might be involved in all these things is to sort of understand, you know, what does it what does it do? And I um it really lives in it, it lives in our gut lining. And so um I sort of think about it like I have this, I have this wooden fence in my backyard. And when we first moved into our house, uh, the wooden fence was you know brand new amazing it's got all these planks that are you know perfectly positioned um and keeps all of the things in my garden in my garden and all things outside on the outside and um you know your gut lining is the same way where you've got the inside of your 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 microbiome which should be on the inside and then the things on the outside which are most of your you know kind of for example immune responses inflammatory responses that should be on the outside and what acromancia does for a living is it sits there and it makes sure that that fence is always in tip top Condition. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my fence in my backyard over time through seasons, you know, starts to weaken. Maybe a plank falls, and then all of a sudden you've got this exposure, this two way exposure that's problematic. And so, acromancia's job is really to make sure that that lining and that that fence is always properly regulated to keep. Let me, you know,
0: let me ask you this to that point. So, it's acromantia mucinophilia, right? And so, it's eating the mucin on the line? Is it like recycling it? What It's keeping it clean and pristine? I mean, talk about that and then go on with the extended, you know, mechanisms <laughs> that you know about with macromantia.
1: Yeah, so, you know, again, I would say the science is early, so there's still a lot to un- unravel here. But right now, the idea is that, um, you know, again, if we go with, continue with this fence analogy, if you needed to put up a new plank, First, you would clean all of your planks, and then you would put the new plank up rather than just piling on and piling on. And so the idea behind acromancy is that it actually plays in this regulation you know, two roles. One is the um, consumption of the mucin, which is needed for that kind of turnover, and then kind of creation of mucin that allows you to um, you know, have the, the solid fence. And so it's a regulator and many enzymes and bacteria kind of do this where they can actually do, they can do the reaction in one direction and they can also do the reverse reaction. And so really acromantia is a mucin consuming uh, strain and that's part of, of actually this regulation.
0: That's so fascinating. Um, I mean, would you go as far to, as to say that any condition associated with intestinal permeability would benefit from additional acromancia. I mean, I mean, because we know, you know, looking at broadly autoimmunity, I mean, cardiovascular disease can't, I mean, really any, I would, probably any chronic illness these days, we could trace to some gut disruption and, and specifically disruption of the um, intestinal wall. So what, it's, it's possible acromantia could figure in to a lot of these then.
1: Yeah. And I think you just nailed it. That's exactly what people are starting to realize and, you know, trace back to then these initial correlative studies where, okay, these people are low in acromancy and then you could start to draw the line between, well, gee, they're low in it. Now they've got intestinal permeability issues and that's leading to all of these other downstream, you know, myriad of diseases. And so I think that's why it's emerging as this keystone strain. Exactly. That, That fundamental principle of intestinal permeability we're realizing is linked to not just uh, gut disorders, but all sorts of different diseases
0: yes, and, and and again accelerated aging, you know, compromised health span, et cetera um, yeah, and so then that causes endotoxemia, and then you can you know you can sort of me- measure in circulation probably increased lps and 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 that would be driving inflammation again of every kind of stripe, whatever that individual might be vulnerable to. Has there been any research on looking at acromantia to your knowledge and um, Endotoxemia or circulating LPS or anything like that? Acromantia deficiency. Oh,
1: maybe. I um <laughs> no I would just say I don't know Yeah, exactly. There there are so many publications coming out. And I think also we have we do have to be, I'll give the word of caution here as a scientist, which is that sometimes, you know, when you're in a hammer, everything looks like a nail. There's a lot of emerging publications around acromancia they're not all good. And so I think, you know, one thing to be careful of, and you know this as a clinician too, which is that, you know, you have to discern which of these are publications that I believe and which ones, you know, is it still very early? And so... For this specific question, I don't know, but I haven't seen something that really caught my eye or building of evidence around it. But you know, I, again, we're so early in this discovery and, and actually the, the growing of acromancia live acromancia is really tricky to do. So not a lot yeah. of people are even able to do that. And one of the things that as a company is really important for us is to help fuel and foster all of those studies. So we are actually working with academicians where we just give them Acromancia for free so they can start to run these studies and, and learn more about what it's doing.
0: I appreciate that. I appreciate it just being sort of right there in the, in the epicenter of launching using PCR and, and, and sort of starting in the clinical world, you know, the push away from relying on culture. I appreciate it. The fact that you have figured out how to stabilize an anaerobe. Um, and I'm so appreciative that you're supplying it freely to academia so they can continue to investigate it. Um, any comments on that on how you figured out how to stabilize it? <laughs> I mean, that's a it's a really big deal and and encapsulate it and you know and have viable acromancia at expiration date. I mean, all of that is is a huge deal.
1: Yeah. I think, um, you know, to understand why it's so hard to grow acromancia, even beyond other strict anaerobes, um, you know, sort of, I would say maybe three things to know about acromancia, It's all got to do with where it lives. Of course, like where people live tells you a lot about, you know, what their challenges are and who they are. Same thing for these strains. So first of all, acromancia is in what we kind of call, you know, the gut microbiome. And the the gut microbiome, as you pointed out, um, is where all of these microbes reside that are not really part of the current... Um, menu of options for probiotics that are on the shelves. And the important thing to know about where these are located is that there's no oxygen in your gut microbiome where all of these strains live. And so that's different. That means that when you're manufacturing, you cannot have a single molecule of oxygen enter that system or else the whole batch dies. And that means it has to be closed from end to end. The whole manufacturing chain has to have no oxygen coming in which is hard because oxygen is sort of a very big part of our air. And so you have to create this very closed system. So the first thing is it's sitting in this, you know, strictly anaerobic environment. The second thing about acromancy is, as I said, it is one of the only strains that literally lives in your gut lining. It's living at the gut lining, which means that it's adhered to something. It's not just sort of free floating. And so that's sort of a second uh, kind of structural challenge. And the third Um, is what you also mentioned, which is that Acromancia consumes mucin. And in the United States, you actually cannot um, sell a probiotic that has been grown in a meat-based media.
0: Hi, everybody. This was easily one of my top three conversations this year with the dynamic and freakishly smart Colleen Cutcliffe from Pendulum. And wait, there is more Join us in our up and coming free webinar where we'll be talking all things acromantia. This one-of-a-kind webinar all about acromancia, a keystone strain for metabolic health as we age, will be Wednesday, September 29th at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Register to attend live or you can access the recording for a limited time uh, when you're able to. I suggest you join us though. I would love, love, love to see you there. Visit the show notes of this episode to learn more and hopefully we will see you on the 29th.
1: And so mucin, this causes a real problem because it's used to consuming what would essentially be categorized as a meat-based media product. And so you have to figure out how do I grow this in a vegetable or vegetarian-based media when the thing is used to consuming, you know, mucin. So those are sort of the three big challenges of of growing acromancy and keeping it alive. And maybe the fourth challenge is is around this anaerobic thing, which is that, um, you know, for the most part, when people try to... um, count colonies. They're putting them on a plate and then they're counting how many colonies grow. And acromancia um, is tricky to grow on plates because of uh you know the, the nature of, of how it lives. And so we actually had to develop an entirely new technology called flow cytometry, which interestingly is actually used by the dairy industry. They're ahead of the game compared to human health, but we measure viability of these cells using flow cytometry, which where you can actually get really granular. Are they live? Are they dead? Are they half dead? Are they mostly dead? And so Um, you know, you have to figure out how to grow the strain and then also how to measure its viability. Um, and so I'd say the big kind of breakthroughs for us were, um, how do you create a closed system? I should say this, and when we started this, we had no intention of manufacturing any of our strains. The probiotics are manufactured around the world, right? And have been for a long time. And so we would send out like a small culture and then we would just get back dead stuff. And so we decided, okay, we're just going to have to grow this ourselves. So we had to build a manufacturing plant with the anaerobic thing in mind. So everything is closed.
0: And then the second thing is we had had to to figure that out. Are you, is this a first of its kind facility?
1: (laughs) It is a first of its kind
0: facility. And (laughs) Go, you had to hire a bunch of smart exactly. people to just kind of right, go in here and, and do this impossible thing.
1: Well, it's funny because our manufacturing plant is in, in the heart of San Francisco, which is where our company started. And people always laugh at me. They're like, you have a manufacturing plant in like one of the most expensive cities in the world. Why? And the reason is because we had to build this thing from scratch. And there were PhD microbiologists building this manufacturing plant, right? And so um, it was and, you know, it's sort of a fun challenge, right? How do you, how do you build something that no one's built before and you get freedom to create something? And so I think that's been um, really almost like more fun than, than anything else uh, to be able to build (laughs) that out. Um, And then the second challenge was figuring out how do you grow this thing in a, in a vegetable-based media so that it's safe uh, and, and can be sold in the United States.
0: What about Um, And again, what about like encapsulating it? Was that a Puzzler and making sure that it's viable through expiration date. I mean, it seemed, did you have to use a special capsule or like, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Uh, so after you grow the culture, so you think about like a beer brewing thing where you're you're growing these bacteria, then we actually freeze-dry them. And once they're freeze-dried, then they're really the the, the strain, this the bacterial cells are really stable. And so you get it in, after you freeze dry, you're in a powder format. And then we use an enteric coated capsule to, to mm-hmm. your point. So we put it in the special capsule that um not only you know preserves the, the integrity of the of the strain inside, but also allows it to get through the stomach acid and into the place where it's actually needs to have activity. So, um, you know, and all of these things are, are, have an expense associated with them. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is that the product has efficacy. And so yeah. if a person is going to feel benefit or a clinician is going to see benefit from it, you got to have a viable strain in there and it has to get to the microbiome and it has to be able to revive and performance activity.
0: So let's, Let's talk about a couple things. I want to talk about one of the major products of acromancia, which is which is which is butyrate. Um, and then I want to talk about your research. Like so you you are currently focusing on glucose control, which is so fundamental and important, and acromancia plays a role in it. And I mean, it's um, imbalanced, poor glucose control obviously underscores many of the chronic conditions that we've been touching on and even acute conditions like COVID and so forth. Um, So I want to talk about that, you know, where you've zeroed in on your focus and some of the science you've found there, but let's take a minute and just, you know, talk a little bit about butyrate as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, butyrate is a small molecule that has been known for a very long time to be super important, but I think one of the issues that we've had as a scientific community um, is that there are so many great preclinical studies on butyrate and its its efficacy, but somehow it doesn't always translate into humans, right? There are far fewer human clinical studies, um, and I, I actually don't, I, I think it's because it's actually a delivery problem. Mm-hmm. So butyrate, uh, every cell in your body uses glucose as its primary source of energy, except for your colon cells they use butyrate as their primary source of energy and so if you take just simply a butyrate supplement all along the way that before the supplement actually gets butyrate gets to where it needs to get to to have its activity it's being consumed by these colon cells it's sort of like i think about it like if i was going to give you a million dollars would you rather i said hey dr fitzgerald i'm not going to knock on your door and hand you a suitcase with a million dollars or if i called you and said hey i just scattered it all over highway 101 you would say, what the hell, why'd you put on highway 101? Everybody's gonna pull over and grab my money. And that's really what butyrate is like. So um, if you can deliver it through acromancer through these strains where the strain gets to where the butyrate is needed, you're delivering the butyrate right where the receptor is for butyrate. Whereas if you take a butyrate supplement, those small molecules are just getting consumed all along the way the colon to, to where it needs to get to. And so I think it's a localization problem. And I think that's also why the microbiome; these microbiome interventions that increase butyrate are going to be so much more effective. Butyrate That's is a, such an important molecule for uh, anything colon-related um, and 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 metabolism-related.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you've been able to um, demonstrate butyrate production um, after using pendulum.
1: Yes. Yeah, so with glucose control, um, we actually, uh, in our trial, we had people on the product for 90 days, and then we had a washout period where they stopped taking the pills. And what you can see is an increase in butyrate, not only in the stool, um, but also in the plasma. And so wow. you're really seeing that elevation in butyrate. Yeah. And then when people go off of it, this is sort of an interesting thing too. Um, most people, after you go off of it, you see the strains no longer are you know showing up and, and things like that. Um, but there is a small handful of people where they actually get colonization of acromancy and these other strains, where even after four weeks of not taking the product, they still have the strains and the the elevated butyrate. And um, I think that gets to the other half of the equation, which is, it's not just what you're putting into your microbiome in terms of the strains, but also what you're eating that feeds those strains. And these people who are able to colonize the strains Our hypothesis is that they're eating foods that have the right prebiotics to keep these strains colonized.
0: Any idea on what those are? Have you, have you guys teased that out?
1: We haven't done any clinical studies on it, but I think the two kind of, you know, um, maybe uh, leading, you know, scientifically based uh, foods, or prebiotics, I should say, are um, inulin, which we know, uh, feeds these different butyrate producing strains and polyphenols for which there's quite a few few studies showing that polyphenols can increase the levels of acromansia. And so we literally are, uh, you know, launching into these studies where we tell people, you know, take the pill and then now add on these, uh, inulin, you know, fiber heavy and polyphenol heavy foods and see if you can really boost your, your strains.
0: That's awesome. Any specific polyphenols? I've got my pen. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, you know, um, interestingly, there's so many polyphenols out there. So one of the things that we did in our lab is we said, do we think that they can all kind of help acromancy grow? So this is all in a test tube. It's not in a human, the human Mm -hmm. system is much more complex, but we actually found that not all polyphenols are equal. And in fact, some of them in the lab inhibit the growth of acromantia. So, the ones that we're super excited about are grapeseed uh, polyphenols and pomegranate polyphenols, which appear to really um, enable acromancy to grow uh, in the lab. And so now we're trying to understand does that also happen, you know, in a human?
0: That's so interesting. And what polyphenols inhibited?
1: Um, I'll have to go back um and look at which ones were inhibiting. I can't remember um there was such a there was such a huge panel
0: well, um we'll chase you down on that for sure, because I I'll know follow people, with yeah, you. yeah, yeah, and we'll just, we'll pop, folks, we'll pop it in the show notes, so just go to the webpage, you'll see it in the show notes, what, um, what her answer is on that one, everybody wants to know, yeah. it's, Ridiculously yeah, you can see that
1: I, I focus on, I just get so honed in. I'm like, this works.
0: Let's move forward. Yeah. Let's not worry about yeah. but I Right, like right. That but I can tell you because of being a clinician and the many folks listening to this are are like, okay, what are those? I'm going to write them down because I want to make sure I'm not overly prescribing them or are they having a negative effect? I'm going to take a look at, you know, the stool tests we're doing, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So talk to me about, you know, your research around um, diabetes and acromantia and glucose control, like just, you know, you, p- you picked that as your focus and you've sort of launched your product under that heading. Although I think we've made it extremely clear that there's a very broad indication for acromantia, but talk to talk to me about, about that and, and some of the research there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a very broad application for acromantia and a very broad application for glucose control. Yes, so that's So right. really- <laughs> and and we can get into that. But really, initially, um, what we found was that um, through our studies, and actually, I should say, this is studies that have been done globally around the world, um, that people with obesity, pre-diabetes, type 2 diabetes, so people on the metabolic syndrome spectrum, which to be frank is sort of all of us who are in the aging process. Yes, yes um, that's right. Our lower missing acarmansia and some of these other butyrate producing strains. And so our, the theory was uh, actually a pretty straightforward one, which is like, oh, well, if you're low in it, what if we gave it back to you? Would that help you? And the underlying mechanism of action that was interesting to us was, of course, this mucin regulation of the gut lining, but then secondarily, this metabolism of fiber into butyrate. And butyrate is already known to be upstream um, to trigger GLP-1 and insulin and glucose uh, responses. And so because butyrate is already known to trigger GLP-1 and insulin and glucose response, and we knew that these butyrate producers were low in people with diabetes, It seemed very obvious that well, gee, if you give it back, you this mechanism of action might play out really nicely. So um, that was the theory behind it, and essentially we developed this like a drug. We did in vitro lab work, we did preclinical trials, we did clinical trials, and we were super excited to be able to publish in BMJ that you know in a placebo-controlled, double-blinded, randomized trial that um, people who were on Pendulum were able to lower their A1C by 0.6 percentage points and lower their glucose spikes by 34%. And what's been really fascinating is that um, since we've launched the product, only about half of our customers actually have diabetes. The other half um, many of them have pre-diabetes, so they're trying to avoid kind of crossing over into diabetes, but many of them are people who know and, and understand that if I can lower, if I can help my body metabolize sugars better, there's a wide variety of additional benefits so what we hear back from our customers. Um, 90% of our, our customers have lowered A1C and lowered blood glucose spikes, but 90% of them are also having better digestion and able to eat foods that they weren't able to eat before. Well, 60% of our customers have decreased sugar cravings, which that one is super interesting to me because of the gut-brain connection and the idea that you can actually change your cravings by altering your gut microbiome. Um, and there's a wide variety of people that are using it for um, improvements in you know reduced brain fog, um, increased energy, better workouts, things like that. And I would say I personally, uh, you know, the chef should always try their cooking. So yes. <laughs> I personally did a placebo-controlled trial on myself. I wore a continuous glucose monitor. I don't have diabetes or prediabetes, but, you know, I'm 45 and I know that my metabolism is slowing down. I don't need a doctor to tell me that or any clinical tests to tell me that. And what I found is when I was on product versus placebo, I knew when I was on product because my workouts were stronger. But I also knew because once my CGM data came back, all of my spikes and all of my crashes were minimized when i was on product versus placebo and i just we have so many customers who are very data driven they're wearing continuous glucose monitors and they're also seeing these benefits especially around certain foods that they you know would cause them to really spike and so glucose control is being used for diabetes that's what we put the product out for that's what we did the studies for but also for a lot of other glucose related indications
0: well and di- and that's amazing so exciting um uh digestion i mean what's the mechanism that you do you think that it's improving digestion i'm curious about that because it's, it's 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 acting locally and extra intestinally
1: yeah well well, I think um, you know. First of all, acromancy is probably playing quite a large role in that, just by uh, you know um, improving the gut lining, and that is you yeah. know you you can imagine how that could help with GI symptoms. But I think it's also well known that you know butyrate production also helps with GI symptoms. So, um, Clostridium butyricum is one of the other key strains that's in glucose control, and as you can tell from the name, it's a butyrate producer. You know butyricum, and it's actually been studied quite a bit in Japan in the application space of IBS and IBD. And so mm-hmm. I think these butyrate producers are really helping with things like diarrhea, constipation, bloating, pain, all of these GI symptoms that you know, many people experience, especially when they eat certain foods.
0: What, how are you dosing it? What's the recommended to get these benefits that you're describing? How are people taking it?
1: The dosing is strictly based on the clinical trial. So in the trial, um, we asked people, and this is before you know, we didn't really know anything. Is this thing going to work? What do we do to like give it the best chance of of, of working? In the trial, we asked people to take you know, a pill in the morning and a pill in the evening, and that's because we don't know when these strains are actually going to. It's not like an acute small molecule drug where you know you take it it immediately has an effect. With the microbiome, you're asking this thing to get through the stomach, get to the colon, op- the pill the pill opens up, the thing has to colonize and start performing its activity. And so we weren't sure whether taking the morning or the evening would be better for the colonization. And so the recommendation uh, on the bottle is really just exactly what was done in the clinical trial. Take one pill in the morning, one pill in the evening. Um, and it's the dose that was done in the trial that showed efficacy. We do have, and I'll just say I myself, I, I take two pills in the morning because my morning routine is where this thing could get integrated. I don't have a night routine around taking uh, you know, any pills. And so mm-hmm. I take both in the morning and I saw this efficacy for myself, but really um, the dosing is based purely on the trial data.
0: Um, I wanna get back to the comment, the quick comment on, on GLP-1, um, of course it's in everybody's mind these days with semaglutide, with the, you know, the, the, the diabetes and now, you know, weight loss drugs. And you said, you did point out that individuals experienced a drop in cravings. I, I would imagine that a subset experienced some weight loss. I mean, can you speak to, um, how these might be acting like the GL, the class of GLP one agonists? Sure. Uh-
1: Um, So we have not done a clinical trial around weight loss. So we Mm -hmm. can't make any claims around that. But I can tell you that our customers, the majority of them are losing weight on the product. And the way that um, GLP-1 is believed to affect that is um, that, uh, it's, it's quite well known that, and there have been studies around this, which is that GLP-1 increases your feeling of satiety. So you feel full faster. And when you feel full, you don't continue to consume food and therefore, you know, it's sort of an easy path to weight loss. Um, and since our product is upstream of GLP-1 and, um, you know, causes GLP one levels to increase. The idea is that it's just following that same pathway it increases your satiety and therefore you lose weight. And that's related, I think to these sugar cravings. You just don't get yeah. these, this like need to consume.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. Do we have anything else to talk about? We've covered a lot. We're, we're just heading into the home stretch here. It's um, what about, what's next for you guys? What's next for Pendulum? You know, what are, what, what other products are you looking at creating? Are you gonna be, you know, working with other anaerobes? What, where are you headed?
1: Yeah, I think um, I would love to come back and talk to you when we when we actually drop this product. But one of the things that we I'm we're super excited about that is in the late stages of development. It's going to come out before the end of this year. Is a um, more affordable uh, glucose control version. So um, you know, really glucose control was developed for type two diabetes. It's relatively expensive. It's $165 a month. And um, what we realized is that we could create a product which could really cater to everybody. So not just people who are at the far end of metabolic syndrome, but as you're on the path there and you could use butyrate producers and you could use acromancia, you know, how could we create a product that could really fit into people's kind of daily lives that don't necessarily have type two diabetes. And so we're going to be coming out with that product towards the end of the year. And it's going to be a lot more affordable and really much more geared towards how do you help your body metabolize sugars better? And I think sugars and carbs we all think of as the enemy, but super hard to cut those out of your diet. You know, let's let's be honest. We all have those cravings, we all wanna eat those things. So, how can we arm you with the right microbes to help you metabolize those um, more effectively and efficiently and kind of keep you in a, in a younger kind of microbiome state? And then beyond that, we have other strains. So, um, you know, other strains that are sitting in the freezer that we're pulling out and growing that are along the lines of acromantia, where um, they have very unique functions. They appear to be um, emerging as keystone strains. So I'll sort of leave it at that. But I'll say, I'll suggest that they play a role in the gut-brain relationship. So we're very excited about that.
0: Good. All right. Well, I look forward to getting to talk to you again as you launch these. I, you know, I do want to say I know that it's an, there's a little anxiety around the price point for a pendulum, but I think you've articulated. Well, a, you have an another product with a lower price point coming out, which everybody will be thrilled about. But the reality is, you guys invested so much in building this company and developing the technology, inventing and developing it and launching it, and that's that's a huge, huge investment. And, you know, thankfully it's worked and you've launched this and and now you're going to be able to figure out how to make it more affordable. Like you've crossed that massive hurdle. But again, I just want to commend you for your hard work. It's been um, so fun to talk to you. I look forward to talking to you again. And yes, folks, we will get citations. We'll get more information on those polyphenols. We'll get all of that over onto the show notes for you. So circle over there and you'll find all these goodies along with the full transcript. Uh, Again, thank you so much for joining me on New Frontiers today, Colin. It was a pleasure. Thank you so
1: much for having me. And I have one more thing, which is that for all of your listeners, we have a special code CARE20, which gets 20% off a membership uh, of any of the products um, that we're offering. So, uh, very excited to get to talk to somebody who's so in the know about acromancia and blood glucose and the microbiome. Um, And we're just at the beginnings of this science. And I hope that all of uh, your listeners get an opportunity to try product and also just really think about, you know, how their microbiome is really impacting a lot of things that you wouldn't even suspect uh, in your health. So yes, it's an exciting absolutely.
0: Very exciting. CARA 20, we'll make sure we blast it in the newsletter. We'll have that on the show notes. We should have said that at the very beginning, but that's okay. <laughs> we got a little carried away on other topics. All right, thanks so much. Thank you.